Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I have with me Glenn Ransom. Glenn is the former president and CEO of the Varsity Internship Program, an awesome program which gave college students world-class training in sales, selling what I believe is one of the greatest products in the world, which brings me to his current role. Glenn is president and owner of The Bible and Stories, which, if my understanding is right, no longer limits the program to college-age students or only the summer months but brings the Bible and stories to families across the nation year-round. Glenn, how are you? Great, Joe. Good morning. Awesome. Good morning, indeed. It's, uh, I don't know what the weather's like down there in Tennessee, but it's, it's unseasonably warm, and it's beautiful here in northern Virginia, as always. It is beautiful. We are seven inches of snow that came on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day is, is melting fast. Yeah, <laughs> our snow is gone. The kids are looking forward to some more snow here soon, and uh, we'll get it. We didn't get it in Oklahoma, but we'll get it here for sure. Um, so I'm sure the listeners, and and I'm very happy to say that every episode is getting at least 100 listens. Uh, so thank you, listening audience. But I'm sure everyone is interested uh, just in the title, Bible and Stories, uh, what that is. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Well, it, um, to try to make a long story short, um, <laughs> having had the opportunity to knock on personally and be in over 8,000 different homes when I was um, selling with Varsity, I saw what was going on. And it's kind of a front row seat to what we call Life 101. And you see what's working and you see what's not. And you see sowing and reaping and you see a lot of cause and effect. And I'm a very curious person by nature. And I ask a lot of questions. And I also had the opportunity to see their bookshelves or their libraries and see what tools were in their home to try to accomplish the goals that they had set. And so it gave me an opportunity to glean from thousands of people what works, what doesn't. Um, When it comes down to the topic of training, most people would say training children. I completely disagree. I had a family probably my first or second summer say, oh, no, we're we're not raising kids. And I'm like, hmm? Uh, They said, (laughs) we're raising adults. And I'm like, whoa, totally different mindset. But 
if a person's trying to help a person be able to find answers quickly from the Bible, and they're trying to get it to be easy to remember um, and understand. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that say, well, I just have a hard time understanding the Bible. Um, to which one of my favorite trainers, Zig Ziglar, <laughs> used to always say, I don't think it's the part that you understand that, or you don't understand that you're having trouble with. He said, I think it's the part you do understand. He said, I think, I think you'll notice he didn't call them the 10 suggestions. Um, <laughs> I, the goal was to help develop something that would help children, help parents, help grandparents. We weren't after a kid's product. We were after something for adults that was so simple kids could use, but that would help anyone find, understand, remember, and then most importantly, apply the Bible to life. And so our Heavenly Father, I mean, I'm not smart enough. I am not smart enough to do what's been done. Our Heavenly Father gave me lots of ideas over the years, and I just wrote them down. And the problem was the experts and all the people I knew in publishing and printing, uh, they all advised me not to do the project. They said, it's going to, you're going to need seven to $8 million to do the project four to 5 million alone, just for the artwork, because we knew that people all over the world, no matter what their language, they don't think in letters or words or symbols. We think in, and more importantly, remember best from storytelling and pictures. Um, and so illustrations were very important. So bottom line, I didn't have seven to $8 million laying around. I had <laughs> never published anything. I had never printed anything. They had held me to the campuses, primarily interviewing, screening, recruiting, training teams that went out all over the, mainly the Southeast. Uh, we've have, had some up North and more out West, but mainly the teams that I developed and trained, uh, worked in the Southeast in the summer. Um, I got to a point to where I believed, I didn't hear an audible voice, but I believed it was very clear that I was supposed to do and create the Bible in stories but I had all these problems. I didn't have seven to 8 million. I had never, I'm not a writer. I'm not an artist. Um, I don't have an editorial team. I, yeah, there's just a long list of uh, no time. Let's throw that one in there because everybody that knew how intensive the recruiting and training program was for the college students said, if you dedicate all that time, you're going to kill the student program. Um, but I felt it was very clear impression from the Lord that I was, to do this project. And I was on my knees one morning in my war room in my set aside quiet spot. And I just said, Lord, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I don't have the expertise. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but I'll start. And all these problems that I have are no longer mine. They're yours. And if you want this done, you have to solve these things. And for our family, Joe, it was our getting out of the water, getting out of the boat, walking on water experience. Um, 
it took two years to do the project. Um, we started in, um, of four, 2004 and finished the project in 2006. And it's basically a three volume. What the finished product is, it's a three volume set of books, hardbound, um, beautiful, I might add that are some of the probably highest quality materials that a person will have ever seen used. Um, most printers and most companies, understandably so, are trying to produce a product at the lowest possible cost, um, still good quality, to have the margins there, uh, the profit margins. And we were coming at it from a different angle, having been in thousands of homes, I knew people really appreciated quality things that last, that don't come unglued or unstitched or fall apart or the cover starts coming off. And so we put a lot of extra money and effort into quality uh, so that a person would only need to get one set. It's not, they're not going to wear it out in their lifetime. And it's probably something they can pass down from generation to generation. But we wanted to do as much of the Bible as we possibly humanly could in story format. And um, I commissioned a lady named Jennifer Love um, to write all the stories for me. I gave her the table of contents, uh, all the story titles and the scripture passages that I wanted her to glean from. If there's a story in the Bible that has um, maybe a couple of verses, two or three verses, you won't find that story in the Bible and stories because we would not have had enough scripture to accurately retell the story. And so we only stuck to the passages, the stories in the Bible that have enough scripture to where you don't have to get creative and try to make it up. Uh, we, personally, I was most concerned about biblical accuracy. Uh, that was the scariest thing about the product uh, and the whole project was knowing I was handling the word of God and wanting to make sure that it was extremely accurate. Um, and I can tell you many stories about <laughs> actually things that everybody that goes to church has been in church a whole life. They believe and they would tell you and the way they would answer. But uh, if you look in the Bible, what they believe is not true. And what I believed was not true. And ha a lot of it has to do with Bible stories we were told when we were kids or in Sunday school that uh, the intentions are good, but the accuracy is not there. Uh, most, uh, my wife, Kathy and I have over a hundred Bible story books that we've collected over the last 35 years. And all of them pretty much are what I call kidized. They're made for children. They're marketed, you know, as a child's product. We didn't want that. We were trying to develop something that would be so simple. A dad who's an engineer, a farmer, a banker, a teacher, a lawyer, something so simple that it would strip away all those excuses of, well, I, I didn't go to Bible school. Uh, I, I don't know the Bible. We've designed it to where someone who has absolutely no Bible knowledge could use it very effectively and with confidence. And it, that comes through, we spent three months preparing a topical index. And so a person does need to know the alphabet. But whether a grandparent, parent, or child, if they know the alphabet, then they can find just about anything. Um, and we have topics for adults, we have topics for teenagers, and we have topics for children. 
And uh, if they know the alphabet, they can look up that topic and it tells them the exact page number or page numbers to turn to, to find stories from the Bible on that topic. Um, there's over 1,500 um, memory pictures that go along with the stories. And every story at the end, I had Jennifer, she did a great job, write thought-provoking review questions at the end of each story because a lot of parents say, well, I don't know how to get the discussion going or I'm not comfortable. No problem. We've got three to seven thought-provoking review questions at the end of each story. And that's probably one of the features my wife likes the best um, because that allowed us to tailor the story to what was going on in our home because the questions led to discussions and then that's where it got personal to whatever it was that was going on in our home. And so she really likes the questions. Um, most everybody loves just the enormous amount of pictures. And most people can't believe I've had mega church pastors before any pastor, anybody in the ministry evangelist look at the set and they're just, they usually upon seeing it are just kind of sitting there with their mouth hanging open because they've never seen anything cover you've got bible story books that have five stories or 10 stories some of them have 40 there's a couple of rare ones that have 100 um there's one product now that has 400 we actually when we finished i said we'll count the number of stories we've got and we counted and there were exactly 400 it was funny to me because we hadn't planned it that way the goal was to have 365 at least so that a person could have one story for every day of the year so that it would be very simple. They wouldn't have to do any planning. They wouldn't have to spend 15 to 30 minutes preparing a lesson, but just something simple, fun, easy, but very memorable that would help them apply scripture to life, whether grandparent or parent's life or a child's life. Um, So that's kind of the set in a nutshell, turned into three volumes, over 700 pages, 400 stories. Uh, Scripture is given on every story, so you can go to your Bible and dig even deeper. You know, Glenn Glenn described the process. I've had that moment looking at it. Guys, you really need um, to Google this thing uh, or DuckDuckGo this thing and look at it. Uh, and more than that, you need to order it so you can see it and feel it. Um, it's it's really an amazing product. Uh, you can learn more about it and you can see it at BibleInStories.com. Uh, that's all one word, no spaces, no underscores. BibleInStories.com. Just what Glenn touched on. Man, so many times people say, I can't. Uh, I can't read this or I can't spend time with this because I don't understand it. Guys, that equation is backwards. And I tell people this all the time. It's an excuse and it's a lame excuse. And here's an example of why uh, that logic train derails. All across America, probably all across the world, uh, people are watching a show. It's a really popular show where people come on and they pitch business ideas and they go through the crucible of trying to make a deal with what they call sharks. Of course, I'm talking about Shark Tank. Uh, Glenn, I don't know if you watch Shark Tank or if you're familiar with it, but entrepreneurs, they they go on and, and yeah, they pitch their idea. Here's the thing. 
those business deals are so far over the heads of everyday Americans. Uh, the business acumen, the terms that are thrown around are so far and above lay people's understandings. But because people spend time watching the show, you know, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because people spend time with it, people all across America and all across the world know some business acumen. They know terms like cost of goods, landed, um, how to calculate valuations, complicated valuations, royalties. Um, I, I hear people say in perpetuity now, I know that's because of Shark Tank's influence on our society because people would never say in perpetuity the way that they're using it now. So, you know, what came first, the understanding or the commitment to spend time? And the one, adults, you know, that's why you need to be in the Word, uh, in, in, in the Bible, you know, pick the translation of your choosing. But another thing that you said, absolutely right. We're not training up children, we're training up adults. Uh, parents don't raise kids. And that's part of the problem that we have in society is parents have been raising kids and adolescence has been prolonged well into the mid-20s, early 30s, uh, where we have, you know, and I'm not anti-video game. I can tell you they're not in my house. Uh, the video games are not part of the tools that I use <laughs> to achieve uh, success. Um, but, you know, we have, you know, grown men and women uh, who are addicted to all kinds of things, uh, frivolities, video games, um, gaming apps and things like that. That's not the tools that you need for success. And it starts at a young age. It starts in the home. And a product like this, you know, I, I have no stake in this company and um, and we're ordering our set. We didn't make it for Christmas, Glenn. You got etched out by some other things. Um, but we're ordering our set. You know, we, we live by a strict budget and Bible and stores is budgeted uh, for January. But guys, go check this out. Um, there's probably some information about Glenn on the website. And, you know, we met I, 10, 11, 12 years ago. And, um, you know, the reason that we're speaking still today is because Glenn is someone who leaves an indelible mark, uh, someone that you you can't, the effect that it'll have on your life, you can't wash it away. Um, when, once you've met, once you've had that encounter, uh, you're scarred. You're, 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 you're stuck. <laughs> scarred for life. I wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that there is additional content from The Joe Mobley Show available for those of you who contribute to the show. To get access to the rest of the Joe Mobley Show's content, go to thejoemobleyshow.com and hit support the show. Any amount over $1 gets you access to exclusive content. That's right. We'll take whatever you're willing to contribute, but just $1 gets you access to exclusive interview content, Q&As from our listeners, and more. Now let's get back to the show. If I could echo just one of the things you were saying earlier, I try to... I find, and my trainers have drilled into my head, the simpler we can make something, um, the easier it is for people to understand, to remember, and also to have confidence that they can do it. 
And here's the simple thought. Time wins. Whatever we choose to give time to wins. Wherever we, the most precious, I believe one of the most precious commodities that we've been given is 24 hours in a day. And I think there is certain groups that are trying to, or they're fine with us, I'm going to say spending, not investing, I'm going to say spending all or most of our time on things that don't really matter. Like, I've never heard anybody on their deathbed go, man, I wish I'd have had another, you know, nine holes of golf, or I wish I'd have spent more time uh, behind my cubicle or behind my desk or uh, on, we won't name any, on social media. (laughs) Um, But time wins. Whatever we give the most time to, it's like I talk to people that are very active churchgoers. I mean, they're, you would say the most active every time the doors are open, they're there. And I'm like, well, could I ask you a simple question? And they're like, sure. I'm like, okay, it's, um, you know, 1055, um, on Wednesday. If we were to go back 24 hours and it's 1055 on Tuesday. So in the last 24 hours, how much time, did you block off, squirrel away, you weren't in front of a laptop, you weren't, you know, all the devices weren't dinging or vibrating, but you you had like alone time with our father just reading the Bible. I'm not saying studying it or just, just reading the Bible. And most of the time on the most active churchgoers, I get kind of a pause, a hesitation. And they're like, uh, yeah, not, not very much or none or well, we're doing our daily bread. And I'm thinking, okay, is that where it's got like the partial verse or the full verse at the top? So you've got maybe, I don't know, 15 seconds of scripture and then 45, 60 seconds of somebody's thoughts on that scripture thought for the day. And, and I'm just like, okay. So now after that 60 second, intense spiritual encounter with God, we're ready to tackle the world. (laughs) We're ready to, and, and I think it was Barna's big survey in 2019. They defined, if I'm remembering it correctly, they defined an active churchgoer for the study as someone who attended a, an event three or four times, um, a month. That was their active crowd. And of that, they surveyed them all. And they found that I think it was 16% said they spent time in the Bible daily and another 14% maybe three to five times a week. And the next category was one time a week or less. So 70% of the active churchgoers were one time a week or less and 30% were three to five times. I would have loved to, and I've talked to some of the people at Barna, and maybe it can get in a future survey, but my follow-up question to those folks when they said, yeah, I'm in in the Bible every day, I really would love to see the stats on how long, like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, five minutes. Did you block 15, 30? I mean, what is it? 
because time wins. And I think in a lot of ways we've been, I guess I'll say it lied to, or it's better. I said that we've been deceived by the enemy and we think that, and there are a lot of people, a lot of people in my family tree that are teachers and they've taught 30 and 40 years in the public school system or the private school system or in Christian schools. Um, we're getting more homeschoolers now, but I'm, I'm not against, you know, schooling. But if you go back and look at the majority of the United States history, the majority of time that children were schooled was in a one room schoolhouse. And the older kids didn't learn their math when they were in elementary school. They learned their math when they were teaching it to another younger child is a biblical model of the older teaching the younger, but when they had to teach it, everybody knows, you might think you know something, but you don't know it until you try to teach it. And then all of a sudden that person is not thinking like you, does not process like you, and they're not getting it. And you're going, what is wrong with them? And you have to start thinking and really understand whatever it is, whether it's English or grammar or algebra or consumer math, you have to have a much better the teacher always learns more than the student. And so going back to this thing of time wins, you know, we can say we believe the Bible. We can say it's powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than the two. You know, it's, there's power in the word of God. But the majority of people who name Christ and that attend church somewhere, the majority of them, when I talk to them, even students at a Bible school, majority of them are not reading the Bible. And I'm just like, um, and they're like, wow. I mean, so simple, but yet so profound. And I don't mean that with any disrespect because there were times in my life where I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to answer that question in the last 24 hours. But years ago, I realized that um, my time on the road and my wife was always faithful to read the Bible, sing hymns pray with the kids every single night. But a lot of times I was on the road and I wasn't leading my family the way I needed to. And so we had a come to Jesus moment where I had to get um, transparent and man up and take on my role to lead my family spiritually because most of the homes and most of the people that I talked to, we pushed it off on the pastor, the youth pastor, the youth department, Sunday school teachers, because I mean, they're the Sunday school teacher. They're the, they've been to seminary. Um, we've pushed off uh, educating our children onto the teachers. And like they're, they have a special degree. And so they're going to be a lot better than me. Um, sorry. Um, the best teacher has always been the parent. Now, if you want specialized something, maybe you need to get a book or get a tutor, or get a trainer, get a mentor. But for the basic fundamental character, moral training, work ethic, um, I'll just give you an example, Joe. We tend to, it seems, look at a child and go, oh, it's just a child. And, and you know, it's, it's not really that. Um, we're trying to entertain them. We're trying to occupy their time. I see parents handing kids digital devices. 
or videos. And I'm just like, oh, because if you have a young child, that young child wants to be involved. That young child has this desire that's, I believe, built in by God to want to produce, to want to um, add value. And people be like, no, I'm not going to let them wash dishes. They'll break them. I'm not going to let them load the dishwasher. I'm not going to let them sweep the floor. I'm not going to let them, you know, because these are things adults do. I'm not going to let them. um, The list is endless. And I'm like, wait a minute. The homes that I was in where the kids were literally like at 12 and 13, they had assumed and they were very successfully carrying out adult responsibilities. They hadn't lost their childhood. I mean, these young adults had some incredible fun and exciting times, but they, they may have been running their own business at 12 or 13 or 14 years old. They may have already understood a balance sheet or cash flow. And you're just like, wait a minute, you're, you're 13 years old. It's like this time out. This is not allowed. But if you go back into our American history, that's the way almost everybody got raised. You, you had, you were, you had the opportunity to have responsibility. You could do something and make something or add value. And now it's like, we look at people under the age of 18 and it seems to me that there's very little expectations that this person that's 18 or younger is going to contribute or produce um, or add value. And because that's what we have been deceived to believe, whatever you believe is the direction you're headed, uh, wherever your faith is. And if you don't expect anything out of someone, you'll usually get it. Um, Sorry, that's a long ramble, Joe, but I wanted to echo what you're saying about time wins. And we've convinced ourselves, the, the big one we hear is I'm too busy. Like for family devotions or reading or teaching the Bible at home, it's like, I'm too busy. And <laughs> Joe, you were more pointed at the top. It's, like, it's a lame excuse. But I mean, we've all said it. I'm too busy. And it's like, really? Okay, so you're telling me that time on social media is more important because right there, I mean, anybody pretty much just was YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, Instagram, I can't name them all. Um, or just time in front of a laptop is more important than time invested in our families, in the most precious commodity lives that God's given us to steward. They're not ours, but they're on loan. And um, I'll try to hush Joe back to you. You know, maybe the, the better an interview is going, the less you used your notes. And so maybe I'll get to this note page that I have in front of me, this little outline, but (laughs) I've got to go back to something you said. Okay. You're absolutely right. And it goes back to the idea of, of training adults and um, not allowing for surrogates to raise your children. And, and for everyone listening, um, surrogates can be a lot of things. The government, public or private schools, the church can be a surrogate. Your child doesn't belong to the church. Your child was a precious gift given to you by God. 
for an intended purpose, not by accident, to be specifically raised, trained, taught, and nurtured by you, um, a, a, a pair, a mom and a dad. And the thing is, if you're doing it right, Glenn, you said something that reminded me of, oh, uh, uh, Day's not reading the Bible. If you're doing it right, no matter how young the child is, the child will challenge you and the, chi- the child will deepen your understanding of things. Um, if you're a religious person, if your children don't deepen your understanding of the word, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, and I'll give you an example. This was literally last week. Uh, my oldest child, my six-year-old boy, um, he loves to read. He loves to learn. He's extremely curious. And we have to work. My wife and I, we have to work to keep up um, with his curiosity and his desire to learn and um, to help it flourish. And, and it takes a concerted effort from us. But he stays up at night. He's got a reading light. And he'll stay up in his bed and read. Um, and, you know, he falls asleep reading sometimes, but the interesting thing is he'll struggle the other night. This was within the last seven days. I think it was just before Christmas. Um, I had one of those days, you know, I work a full-time job. I'm trying to grow a business. Um, and so I'm, I'm extremely busy. I had one of those days that was phone and laptop days from early morning to late at night. And I go in and I look at uh, my son. It's like his bedtime's eight. It's like nine fifteen. His lights on. I, I open the door, and he's tired. He's really tired. You can see it in his face. But he's reading his kid's Bible because he said that he he forgot to finish a story yesterday and he was getting behind. And he was. I think he was reading in Luke. And a tired, worn out six year old was staying up an hour past bedtime to read the word. And you know how I was challenged? I had not read a word of scripture on that particular day, which I I had to correct that. Um, But that challenge and that that lesson came from my six-year-old because we're raising them correctly. and, and we do homeschool, you know, we, we have, there are a lot of issues that I personally have with public school, but here's the thing. People say indoctrination is a bad word. Um, people are going to be indoctrinated. You're indoctrinated by your closest five friends. You're indoctrinated by the podcasts that you listen to, the books that you read. So someone is going to be indoctrinating you and your children and you have to decide, is it going to be the school? Is it going to be the government? Is it going to be the church or is it going to be you? And uh, so just you telling that story and being on the road just reminded me of that. And man, you can tell when a, when a kid is tired <laughs> and pushing through to read God's word. Well, it's exciting, Joe, to hear that story because as a parent or as a as a coach, as a trainer, as a mentor, I think what we're trying to do is salt their oats. We're trying to develop that hunger to learn. Like, I, I don't know, I'm not pointing the finger, but I think it had something to do with it. I started school fairly early. I went public school K through 12 and 
um, the girls tend to read circles around the boys at the same age. And so I never was a confident reader. I remember in sixth grade, we had to do six book reports on six different books. And ashamedly, I did my six book reports off the back of the six books. Um, <laughs> and I went back in seventh grade, uh, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. And I went back with my dad to the teacher. Not, he wasn't making me. I just, I don't know. I wanted a, uh, I wanted a sidekick. I wanted a buddy to go with me. I was trying to be transparent with my dad too, but I told that sixth grade teacher what I had done and I didn't enjoy reading. And I don't know, something you were saying a minute ago, Joe, made me flash to Ben Carson. And if it's true, and I've heard it from a lot of different sources, but Ben Carson's mom would um, hold up the newspaper. And I heard this story of other people, but they'd hold up the newspaper and they'd read the newspaper and they'd read the newspaper for maybe hours, you know, and turn through the pages. She also, Ben Carson's mom, would have them do book reports. And when they turn their book reports, she'd mark them all up like crazy with red ink and red a red marker. And um, it wasn't until later in life that Ben Carson and some of these other men and women that I know of that are, have impacted the world found out that their, their dad or their mom that was doing this couldn't read but the child didn't know that and so you go wait a minute so we're lying to him well no they were creating an environment where reading looked like the cool thing to do that's what leaders leaders are readers and i didn't get that reading bug i realized when i got around the varsity program Ah, that it was really important and they drilled in me, you know, find good books, read good books. Um, a guy named Charlie Tremendous Jones, who's um, gone on to heaven already. Um, he used to make the statement, one of his key statements that everybody will remember that knows him, was you're going to be the same person five years from now, except for two things, the people you meet and interact with and the books that you read people you meet the books at you and we could say the podcast you listen to the videos you watch now but basically the books you read and the people you meet and so i just decided to start reading a lot more and it's changed everything i just wish i have very few regrets but it's very exciting when i know of a young person that's six years old and he's got that insatiable desire to read and it totally changes everything if they get a hunger for the word of God. And it's not, I think so many times we've looked at it like, okay, this is what a believer does. You're supposed to read. I mean, I think this is straight from the devil's playbook, but it's like, you're supposed to read the Bible. You're supposed to pray. It's like this list of responsibilities and it's not about relationship. It's not about, do you realize the guy who spoke it all into existence, the guy who brought the sun up this morning, the guy who's 
keeping the world on its axis right now. The one who is not concerned at all about anything, any crazy politicians doing anywhere in the world. The one who has everything under control, owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He has written a book, a manual, a life, an owner's manual for your life that covers anything and everything that could almost ever come up. And it's never, no portion of it in any capacity has ever been proven inaccurate or wrong. I mean, like archaeologists said, oh, that never happened. And then somebody goes and digs up the city or somebody goes and digs up. (laughs) Well, actually, yeah, it was true. Um, And we're, we're listening to all these podcasts. We're reading all these books, trying to get smarter, get wiser, figure out better systems. And we're spending a minute or five minutes reading the Bible. And it's like, okay, you can either go to the source that's never been wrong about anything, or you can read something that a man put together. And it's just like, sometimes I'm thinking, man, I'm not, I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. I mean, I don't know. It just, it makes more sense. And if you can get that, that relationship to where it's, it's a desire to read and, and the word comes to life, then that person uh, is going to be hooked for life. And they're going to stand a lot better chance of standing up against the deception and the lies that are coming from the enemy. Um, And so it's just, it's always exciting for me. And and I'll bet, I mean, I'll ask Joe a question. If I'm, I'm, I would, I'm not a betting man, but I would assume that maybe even while this child was in the womb that Joe and his wife were reading to him, or if not in the womb, shortly thereafter, they started reading frequently or someone started reading to this child and this child felt it's a, it's a feeling you're physically on somebody's lap or you're physically laying in a bed together or you're in a lazy boy chair and there is, there is physical touch. There's a closeness there. There is a security there. And it's saying, I have time for you and you are loved. And this is important. And so it's a physical thing, getting the family together. So many times when I would walk in a home, the family's so scattered they're all on a different device or they're all in a different room. And the first thing I would do when I would go in, I'd, I'd get them all gathered for what we call a Kodak moment on the couch <laughs> or, and a lot of times this, this is the first time in a long time that they've physically touched like beside each other. And if I really wanted to ham it up and, and, and if I really wanted to get the family going, I'd take the daughter and I'd place her on her, you know, like close to her dad you know, right up against him. I'd take the son, I'd place it right up against the mom and I'd put the parents, I'd be like, Bill, come over here and sit by your wife. And he'd come over and he'd like sit down and he's like on one end of the couch and his wife's on the other. I'm like, I'm like looking at him and I'm looking at the kids and I'm like, Bill, seriously, like, like, like when you were dating Bill and all of a sudden he'll get this grin on his face and he'll pop all the way from one end of the couch all the way over. I mean, he's plastered to the side of his wife. All of a sudden she's starting to feel better. He's feeling better. Endorphins are being released. 
and I'm just trying to get that family back together to feel what it feels like to be together. And I think right now, one of the things that's concerning me most about six feet, six feet, six feet and mask and all it's like, it's promoting isolation. It's promoting disconnect. Like, okay, all the kids go to school online, virtual school. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, we're going to, we're going to increase screen time like crazy. We're going to increase no physical touch. We're going to increase isolation. I don't care who you are or who you think you are. No one for an extended period of time does well in isolation. Things isolated on the plane, out in the desert, isolated things get eaten. And I don't know. I think in the home it should be the, the one last safe place where a family could get together, but just getting the family together around a kitchen table and not where everybody's staring at a device and looking down, but where they're like interacting with each, each, each other. When my daughters went to college, um, I said, look, totally up to you. But if I were you, <clears throat> when I walked into that cafeteria, um, I'd initiate a table and there's one rule and no devices come into this table or you can bring your device, but it's gotta be cut off. Um, nobody can take a call, make a call, text, send or receive. And it just it changes the dynamic. Um, people present Trump people that are absent, but in our world, it's like, and I, I see it all the time. I, I see it at church. It's like, <laughs> Oh, we can't even turn it off to hear from the Lord to hear the message, to hear the worship, to get fully engaged. And there's many people out there much brighter and more researched than me speaking on the distracted generation, but we are very distracted and are having a hard time holding our focus. I think it was a couple of years ago, we actually dropped and the goldfish at nine seconds has a longer attention span than most of us here in the United States of America. I think um, it's down to seven seconds now. And it's just wild. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.